Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome down to Security Rabbit Hole to yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Raf here, James over there. Live? What's live? On, Woo! We're live. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but episode, the first one we did that was actually streamed out live was with uh, Jeremiah, and uh, that went really well, and then YouTube told us, we violate the uh, the spam policy, spam uh, deceptive practices, or whatever the hell they had it policy. We're like, what now? So let's see if uh, let's see if current guest, aka the Tubinator, hello Sean, howdy from the great state of Texas. You've been on the show a couple times, buddy. Welcome back. Uh, man, it's been a long time. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad y'all have uh, reached down and and decided to uh, have me back again. <laughs> Thank you for slumming with legal us. Legal to help us with YouTube. The, yeah, that, that's what it is. You, you want to see how quickly we can get canceled on YouTube? I know what it is. <laughs> Listen, I can do canceled all by myself. All right, I don't need. I don't need anybody's help. All right, uh, welcome back, Sean. It's um, good to have you, man. It's uh, as usual. We have you because you're the uh, law guy here. Uh, you're the long arm of the Texas law, as they say. Uh, not really, but uh, at least you're a lawyer. That's that's, that's better than what we have. Um, Wait, is that a good thing? <laughs> we're going to find out in a minute. <laughs> Most people don't see it that way. <laughs> I mean, well, why do you think I hang around security people? Because we make you look good. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like lawyers that much either, usually. Uh, 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 <laughs> Oh, so before we get ourselves completely in trouble, oh, so we've had some current events, Sean. What, anything you particularly want to talk about or just Man, rap in general? So so something's been weighing on my mind, and uh, and I've, I've had this song going through my head for like since last week, and, and I came into my office today, and I've only recently started working back here in the office office, and I was the biggest disappointment I had was that I didn't have an American flag in here. I've got them all over the place in my home office. And here's why I say that. Um, because if y'all remember last week, like when, when President Biden came out on Thursday and said, we're about to take measures to, to talking about the colonial pipeline, yeah, yeah, hackers, yeah. dark side, we're about to take measures to disrupt their ability to operate. Yeah. I mean, how many people's eyes just rolled over in the, you know, oh, okay, whatever, right? Guilty. And then Friday, <laughs> when the news broke that these guys were offline and their Bitcoin, ser their server with their Bitcoin had been, you know, disrupted. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I'm thinking this colonial pipeline event it, it may very well be America's 911 event 
in the war on, on cybercrime, on hacking. And I had this, you, you remember that song, The Angry American by Toby Keith? Yeah. When he's singing and he's, he's like, you know, we'll put a boot in your ass. It's yeah, the American, it's American way. way. That, that's been going through my head literally <laughs> since <laughs> last Friday. I feel like I it should just put a over backdrop. Over. I I, I, we need a flag. We, we should all. Uh, you know, what's funny yeah. is as, as you were saying that, I'm watching Twitter scroll by and uh, the headline that just literally like a second ago scrolled by. Hold, hold that thought. Uh, so pipeline communications has gone offline. Pipeline personnel are working to quickly figure out what exactly has caused the entire communications to go down. Moments of oil, uh, movement of oil within the lines has stopped momentarily, says Colonial. And the headline says, oh, shit, here we go again. <laughs> no, I, I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, but I think, uh, you know, so my world is incident response. I serve yeah. as breach counsel and, and lead these companies through this process. And you always are getting back online as quickly as you can. Right. And, and you're going to have disruptions in there. That doesn't mean it's not successful and that it's not going to turn out okay. It just means you've got some disruptions in that recovery and restoration process. Hopefully that's what it is. Hopefully the bad guys didn't still have a back door into the network. And they're like, oh, you know, the cat and mouse, right? So you did this to us. You know, you've got all this great feeling of pride now. Watch this. We're going to hit back. So hopefully that's not the case. Uh, wow, that's an optimistic view you got there, Tuma. I mean, I'm already sensing that if I turn on any major news outlet, there's going to be a thousand security experts talking about how the exact opposite of what you just said just went down. And, uh, you know, people are going to go out and start filling up their uh, coffee jugs <laughs> with gasoline again. Man, if they would just do it while smoking. That would like just <laughs> solve so many problems, right? Listen, dude, that would be the American way, would it not? That, <laughs> that would be. But no, you know, I mean, James, it's we don't know. None of us know. So we're making our best educated guest here, guests here. And all I know is is whenever we're dealing with ransomware attacks, and we deal with, with quite a few, that it's not a perfect process, your recovery, your, your restoration of your data and getting operations back online. It's, it's an incremental process where you're celebrating each step really because it's better than you were and better than it may have been, you know, otherwise. And I mean, I, I can't really think of many that just go perfectly smooth, whether it's, I mean, we, we had one recently where you know, we kept having to, 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 to then bring in other experts like database experts to help in rebuilding the database. Even though we got the data decrypted, it still caused some little, uh, some, some malfunctions in there. So I, it, it could be bad guys are back or it could be, which would surprise me. I mean, I think what they did is they got the attention of our very best and brightest, um, and I think our, our our best and brightest are now watching what's happening with that network. I, I'd be really surprised if they got back in. You know, I um, I I'm not I'm not convinced that our best and brightest haven't had this the attend hasn't had the attention of of the cyber world or the attackers or the threat actors out there in the past. It's just that it ha none of the politicians have cared. 
and none of the not none but many of the uh many of the i mean some of the executive order stuff it's it's adorable that they write this stuff but it has very little or no substance to it based on some of the analysis i've read and look i mean we can talk about going and knocking people out and and this but there was a summary posted earlier that said those guys in the time that they were around made about 90 million uh us which is i don't know if that's if that's the worst i can do in life after after a you know year and a half or so of being around like there's an island somewhere with my name on it literally they'll write my name on it for about that much out in you know a, a slightly less expensive part of the world and like peace done I, I jokingly replied to that tweet says, man, I am in the wrong damn line of work. Like, well, I mean, that's what I've always said about security researchers. They're security researchers until they hit that one big jackpot. And then it's like, eh, maybe not anymore. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do something else. Uh, but no, I mean, I, so when I say got the attention of the best and brightest, what I mean by that is, you know, I'm a big advocate of reporting these events to law enforcement and and trying to work with them. But they are incredibly overwhelmed and they're not able to even look at most of our cases because they don't. That's fair. They're not. They're they're overwhelmed, you know. And I think in this scenario, they they um, because of the pipeline, because of the media attention, because of the, just all this focus. I mean, my wife was talking about this case. That's a first, you know. I think that brought the focused attention of our well, best and brightest on well, my, this my, case. Yeah, yeah, my folks were talking about it because here in my area, ain't a gas station with gas on uh, out it. You know, everybody's out um, and because, you know, the people with the plastic bag showed up and uh, took all of it. But uh, <laughs> That's that's always amusing. But um, I actually didn't hear about it until like I first found out about it from my wife telling. She's like, "Oh, did you hear about this hack?" And like, you need to go top off your tank. I was like, uh, "No, I didn't hear about it." And then I had other friends ask about it. We were out on the weekend with some friends, and they were asking. About it. I was like, "I only saw the headline." I said, "But my guess is it's ransomware on the corporate network." I was like, "I wouldn't be." But they're like, oh, I mean, like everybody, before I even heard of this, everybody's like, you need to top off your tank. You need to do this. Like somebody created a lot of buzz around this to say, hey, let's go deplete all the resources that we have. Uh, so that way it gets super ugly uh, really fast instead of letting it slowly take hold. Man, it's human nature. It's panic. I mean, we all care about ourselves and we can claim otherwise and be self-righteous and blah, blah, blah. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, it's me versus them is is what we see in human nature, and it's sad. But, I mean, God, we saw it with toilet paper a year ago, you know, and now we see it with gas. I mean, you know, what are they going to – imagine hitting a coffee factory or, like, something like that that really – Okay, you want pandemonium? you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you want pandemonium? Hit hit, uh, hit the coffee supply chain. The world will implode. And not just the U.S., (laughs) the world will slowly implode on itself. Maybe not even slowly, uh, Sean. From a from a response perspective, you know, we were, I had Jeremiah Grossman. We were talking about um, liability and, and insurance and some of this stuff. And I think we came to the conclusion on the previous episode, folks. If you haven't listened to it, uh, YouTube be damned. I reposted the video and the audio. Uh, the audio was uh, went live on uh, Tuesday, May eighteenth. But um, 
it, we, we basically said, listen, there's a couple of places you can hold accountability for vulnerabilities and applications and issues. One of them is in the companies that make them, that make you, you know, click through those agreements. We'll come back to that in a second. That's basically say, hey, as soon as you install this, you're on your own. I hold no liability. Like, there's, I, I can't think of another industry where we allow this nonsense. And then, Whoa. how about the, the MSP you hire? Because oh, yeah, you know that. nothing about this, and you hire the experts, and they come in <laughs> yeah. and say, well, we're not responsible. You've got to come back and check it. I, I reviewed a contract that said that yesterday. Really? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that, that's actually even worse. So, uh, But he, he was talking about potentially looking at the uh, security providers. Like if you run a scan tool or whatever, it misses a vuln. Somebody exploits that vuln. Like shouldn't they be liable for the fact that you're paying them to do a job and they, they missed it? And, and there's a lot of complications around that, obviously. But ultimately, we ended up in this, in this discussion where – uh, cyber insurance is going to mandate a certain level of due diligence and a su- certain level of something, right? And yeah. uh, if you don't do it, it's either going to be really expensive to have insurance, or they're just going to say no, not going to, not going to insure you, or not going to pay out. Are you, are you seeing this? Are, is that your head kind of going the same direction? Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, last week, I was actually in Connecticut speaking two days at a cyber liability insurance liability conference and uh that sounds like fun my day my my day one topic was hot trends in litigation what's coming you know not not what's here but what do we see coming and really my number one thing there is this litigation against service providers for these supply chain hacks whether it's your managed service provider your managed security service provider i mean they're getting hit with ransomware and passing it on to the clients or enabling the attacks on their clients and and so we're going to see a lot more of that in the future i think um we haven't seen much in the past uh there's only a few cases that i was able to find dating back to 2012 dealing with this and they all get settled and resolved um But then the second layer of that is insurance companies are paying out for all these ransomware attacks, and they're really getting hit hard by this. And so what they're going to start doing in the future is looking to subrogate against the company that's actually responsible for this. So whether it's the supply chain, the vendor, the the software vendor, or the tool vendor, or the security service, or the MSP, or whomever, the insurance company is going to pay out to their insured to get them better. And then they're going to go to the other company and say, hey, you caused this. We're subrogating into our insured's rights to go against you for this. And what's going to end up happening is the other company is going to have cyber insurance also, right? And so they're going to be going insurance company to insurance company many times. And and it's going to be almost like we see in the car wreck situation where they just go, I, I predict at some point, work it out amongst themselves, right? But That'll where this leads to, to your question, is insurance companies are getting just smashed this year on cyber and so they are now becoming much much more stringent in their underwriting process and you would be blown away by the by the sophistication of their underwriters i mean people who truly get cyber and have done it 
and have been in the battle, they're now the ones that many of these insurance companies are hiring to do their underwriting. So they're doing their own risk assessments and vulnerability testing and all this, if you will, and they're bringing in different tools that they're using. And you're now seeing um, new insurance companies, if you will, kind of hybrids that pop up that are relying on certain tools and, and security integrated into the process of insuring so that they have a whole lot more visibility into your network and know what their risks are. And, and they're all, you're also seeing premiums go up substantially. So all of that's tied together. Is this like a insured deck DevSecOps type thing? Like <laughs> James, I'm building you. like security into the pipeline of insurance underwriting? Like we're gonna come up with a fancy name for that. Um, so, yeah, so, so yes to all of it, James. Um, what's happening is the insurance companies are realizing that all but the biggest and most well-funded of them really can't stay in this business if they don't have a whole lot more visibility into the risks and ability to help mitigate that risks that risk it with these companies that they're insuring and so you know whatever they can do to get more integrally involved in understanding their insured's risks uh, and and controlling those they're doing and so what the byproduct of that is i mean you know the old the old story about com- uh, governments tried to implement seatbelts way back i guess in the 70s and couldn't really do it but the insurance companies came in and said we can do it because if yeah. you don't have seatbelts you know we're not insuring boom you get seatbelts we're we're seeing i think insurance slowly stepping in to play a much, much bigger role in security than most people realize. Well, I mean, I, I can't say we didn't see this coming, right? This has been... It's follow the it, money. Yeah, exactly that. Um, it, it's But it's such an interesting topic because it's at, at first the, the industry sort of laughed it off like, ha, 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 why do you even need insurance? It's going to be... You know, it's going to be an excuse not to fix things, and it turns out the insurance is going to be the reason we fix things. Um, and, and much like compliance, you can laugh it off, but ultimately, it's it's going to drive a point. Yeah, I mean, remember 2014? People laughed at NIST. You know, ah, what are they going to do? It's only federal government and government contractors. Doesn't really apply to anybody else. Step by step, we've seen it become not controlling by any means, but certainly something that is looked to more and more of having more influence. And I think we're going to see that with this insurance requirement, because here's the thing, these insurance companies, they're tracking the claims. So they're not, they're not getting their information from what the sales folks at security conferences go talk about. They're getting their data from actual claims of what their insureds are getting hit with and what's causing their losses. RDP access, lack of MFA, all of these kind of things. And now supply chain risk is is what they're seeing hit them. And so they're looking at, they're using this data at what they're looking at with companies before they'll go insure them 
which means they're looking at the supply chain now and they're getting more involved in all of that assessment process. Well, that's interesting. Does that actually help, though? I mean, with them actually looking at legit stuff happening, are they able to then focus their security focus on, hey, we're just looking at this, right? No more of this, hey, are you doing the basics, right? Which we all know is everything. Right. Uh, you know, it's, hey, you know, are you protecting from ransomware? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? These are the five things we care about mm-hmm. before we write this policy versus here's NIST that we care about before we write this policy. No, no, you know, does that help? Yeah. No, no. They, so, so one of the biggest challenges I've ever had with, with business clients when I talk to them about risk management is what you just said, James. It's, okay, we've got to do everything. We've got to boil the ocean and we've got to start with everything. Boom. Well, that's not practical. You can't run a business that way. And so prioritization, prioritization has always been one of the biggest struggles. They have money. They have resources. They're ready to get to work. They don't know where to start. And so these insurance companies are seeing where they're getting their losses from, and they're looking at it going, yes, this is where you start. Okay, we're going to get to all that more advanced stuff, but right now, if you're not using MFA and you're using Office 365, we're going to have a real bad problem. We may not insure you, or we certainly won't cover business email compromise, you know, and, and things like that. They're looking at backups really hard of seeing what's your, what's your backup process and are you actually following it. They're looking at RDP access, which is almost 50% of our ransomware cases, you know, things like that. So they are taking that strategic approach, at least, I mean, some of them, not all of them, obviously. Yeah. But, but the ones that are at the, the forefront, they're evolving quickly. They're maturing quickly, I should say. Yeah. Inter- Listen, I, 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 I'm interested in how this data gets gathered because when you look at the security industry, we sort of are all over the place. Depending on what you have to sell, that's the thing that's the biggest problem that a customer that you're trying to sell it to. Duh. Um, but these 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 insurance companies are looking at what happened and why it happened. So if this model follows after a slew of ransomware types of attacks, we're going to see a uh policy checklist of things that protect against ransomware that should decrease that in those that hold the policy right arguably so then we're gonna have like okay if ransomware today whatever it is tomorrow and we're gonna keep having this like de-escalation of uh attack uh possibility on the customer side based on what the data tell what the data is always going to be lagging right it's all that's the problem sure. what i think with it yeah is your data always tells you what happened uh based on something you did a year or 18 months ago or more right um it's gonna lag but it's actual data okay for example <clears throat> i don't know that colonial pipeline had cyber insurance given how quickly they were able to facilitate that payment i think they probably did because when you have insurance involved, the, the brokers who will facilitate and make the payment will react immediately. 
Whereas if it's not a broker or not a carrier, they're going to want the money in their hands before they will facilitate the transaction. Um, but that, that's an aside. So we, we may never truly know exactly what led to this colonial pipeline uh, ransomware because, you know, there, there may be a public report and it may give kind of a lot of the stuff that we report to regulators, which is somewhat bland many times. It doesn't have all the nitty-gritty details because they recognize that that if we're going to provide that, we need to do it in a secure manner so that the world doesn't see all these problems this company had. Well, the insurance yeah. carriers, the insurance trick. carriers will know exactly what caused this. And then they we'll go will, after you. <laughs> they will know the underlying reasons that aren't going to make it into the media. They also know that hundreds or thousands of cases a year where there's an attack, there's a there's a payment or there's an incident and it's resolved and it's determined not to be a data breach requiring notification and okay. it never goes anywhere from there. So it never gets reported publicly. They have that data because they know when they pay out a claim why they had to pay it. So How do they share that data? I mean, are they sharing that between companies? I don't Over email. Like if it's not going public? Over email. <laughs> I don't think so, James. <laughs> I, I, think, I think they may, they may, they, they may have some mechanism of talking to one other, one another. And there may be something, I, I don't know the answer if they do or not. I mean, is that, yeah, because I mean, it'd be great if that was something like a Verizon data breach report where you have like some sort of, uh, you know, insurance company data breach report where data is anonymized, but they can go back and say, hey, look, this info is not public you know, for a specific thing, but 53% of these were due to this. Well, oh, man, um, there, is, there is uh, one group called Net Diligence that is kind of a, a big player in cyber insurance. And they do put out an aggregate report each year of kind of what, what the claims showed the year before. And it doesn't get too granular, um, but it, it's enough. It, it, it provides more insight than probably a lot of these other reports that come out because the insurance carriers do um, anonymize those claim that claim data and provide some level of it to uh, to the, uh, uh, the the people who are actually friends of mine that put together that net diligence report each year. So there's there's man there's more information out there than we can imagine. It's just finding the right information to to look at. You know? Sean, I feel like there's a tremendous like we're talking about this here, and I'm if if I listen to you and listen to Jeremiah, I feel like we are on the precipice of of having some real answers for how to solve these very difficult questions of how do we protect ourselves, what's more most effective, what's the minimum baseline people should be doing, etc. But I feel like there's such a massive disconnect between where we are, where this conversation is, and my previous one is here, and literally what the rest of the market is doing over here, because we're still focused on widgets and endpoint and encrypt this and you know uh, anti that right whatever, but 
those two don't seem to have logical connections between them. Even if you listen to marketing people and sellers talk, there's no, there's no pathway between this is where, like, this is the things that you guys should be doing from a broad, like, we know these as facts as opposed to, hey, security is still hype and fear-based. How the hell do we connect, like, get rid of one and just focus on the other? I mean, it's got to be the same effectiveness. Let me ask you this. What's the best weapon to use by the military? Disinformation. Oh, that's all right. That's a great one. Okay, you got me there. That's not what I was thinking. Uh, in a kinetic sense, let's take cyber war disinformation off the table. Okay. Is it a rifle? Is it a tank? Is it a bomb? Is it a grenade? Is, is it a knife? I'd say bomb, right? Like it, it, it covers it, it the depends. largest blast radius. Yeah. It, it depends. It depends on your objectives. It depends on the environment. All right. The problem with, all right, so remember, Fair. I got into this stuff with Y2K. So that was going to be my career builder right there. I was going to be retired on an island 15 years ago. Okay. How'd that it go? It didn't happen. It didn't happen because <laughs> we solved Y2K. All right. How did we solve it? It was a problem. It was a glitch. It was a, a, a malfunction that could be fixed. We are at war in cyber. We have an active adversary on the other side that's always looking for the next weakness, the next vulnerability. And when you fix one, they're going to find another. And so our greatest tool in cybersecurity, I think, is strategic leadership. It's it's understanding that there is no one tool. I'm going to channel my inner uh, Kung Fu Panda here. You know, there is no, uh, it, there's no secret ingredient in the secret noodle soup. There's no one tool. It's having that leadership and that strategic understanding to realize our, our risks are different from that company's risks. Our threats are different from theirs. We've got to first start with understanding and assessing our risks, and that takes a really good experienced human being that that can look at the whole playing field and not be beholden to any one tool or any one service. And, and I think that's what we're missing in security more than anything is that strategic leadership to come in and say, you know what, I can't answer this. I can't tell you we're immune or we're, we're secure. I can tell you these are our greatest threats. Let's look at how we solve these or mitigate them the best we can under our circumstances and then go to level two and then level three and level four and then start all over because in six months our risks are going to have changed. And there's no end to this. There's no winning this war. It's just staying ahead in the battle, I think. I- let me let me change gears on you for a second because I want to. I'm looking for a ray of sunshine that this was clearly not. Because um, no, the answer lies in our CISOs. It, it, well, it does. It, it well, and yes. they need to be in the boardroom, at the table, talking to the directors, explaining this. So there's there's it, it still comes back to there's got to be uh, from the from the security side we have to talk to not at those that make policy decisions for the company and strategic decisions for the company. From the other side, there has to be the willingness to listen and, and acquiesce that they don't know everything 
and that we just need to take advice sometime from somebody that that sits in it all day. So that, that I get that as a uh, as a practitioner uh, of the uh, of the black art of uh, lawyering. Uh, <laughs> Are you, uh, are you, are you seeing any, uh, any, anything new, interesting, not that you can talk about it, but is it, or is it still same old, same old, um, uh, has the, like, has the volume gone down? So, you know, uh, as, as a lawyer practicing in this space for 20 plus years now, my greatest value is the little magic wand of privilege I carry around with me, right? Ding, ding, ding. Everything's privilege that I touch. That's why people feel like they should hire me. Um, unfortunately, I've lost that marketing advantage a little bit more this year because over the last year in the Capital One case, we saw that whole attorney-client privilege argument take another yeah. hit. Um, yeah. And I've look, I, I always my philosophy for many years now has always been there are no absolutes in privilege ever, ever. Okay. Do Fair the enough. best you can to establish it. Do the best you can to maintain it, but understand and operate as though it's not going to be there. Because if you're counting on it and it gets shanked out from under you, you're really screwed. If you're not counting on it and you get it, then hey, bonus, right? So we we saw a hit on the privilege issue over the last year. Um, and, And there's a lot we could go into with that, but just follow that advice. Do everything you can to have it and maintain it, but don't count on it with your life. Uh, the, the biggest thing that I've seen happen really last week, uh, came out last week, involves PCI. And PCI is that area, everybody wants to talk about regulatory enforcement and the cost of those. People want to talk about consumer breach litigation, stuff like that. But PCI is that big stick that people don't focus on that can really carry a big whack. Um, if if you're not prepared for it and you get hit by these card brands with assessments, uh, Chase Bank, Chase Payment Tech, and Landry's uh, restaurant chain were litigating over um, Landry's, claiming that the assessments were not appropriate, or penalties weren't uh, required to be paid by them. They lost the case last week at the uh, or. The, the issue at the district court level and are having to uh, pay up 30 million bucks. So when you look at money and cost and fines and ouch PCI hurts, you got to be ready. For Finally. <laughs> it's been hurting mean, for a long time. We just haven't, we haven't been seeing the publicity around it. Um, any right, case I get that involves payment cards I always tell the clients from the outset, this is going to be our biggest hit, is the PCI angle. So just get ready for it. Because it's, it's not discretionary. I mean, or it's discretionary. They literally yeah. pass down through their contractual agreements and say, whatever the card brands assess, which is 350 something, 450 per card compromised, um, we're going to pass that down from the merchant bank and we're just going to come take the money out of your out of your receipts that we're holding for you to make sure it gets paid that that's putting you in a jam well that's real i mean that's absolutely truly real money um man you know there's got to be a way off this hamster wheel there just absolutely has to be this uh we, we keep talking about the fact that it 
it's we're going to get to a point something big's going to happen people are going to take notice uh, and you know, if this, if we keep saying this one's going to be the wake up call, this one's going to be the wake up call, this one's going to be the wake up call. The pay, you know, like maybe we're just going to sleep through our alarms forever. I, I, I mean, maybe the snooze well, button's broken. I don't know. I mean, we saw, we saw in twenty, like I remember in two thousand eleven, I wrote a a blog post call, uh, and I said, is this is two thousand eleven going to be the year of the data breach? Because from what I was seeing, it looked like awareness was coming to a point then, and it didn't happen. Um, it, it wasn't until we saw Target, Home Depot, you know, uh, Neiman Marcus, all them get hit in that one time period that it thrust it right in front of us in the news cycle. And we all really had it come part of our popular vocabulary. That's what I mean by this colonial pipeline thing. Um, I feel like this for at least ransomware and and this this aspect is is something that put it into every American's vocabulary now. Um, and we're going to be talking about it and thinking about it. And so, you know, maybe this is that, that next watershed event, though at the end of the day, it's probably very similar to how Target and Home Depot and all them got hit. It's just a different consequence that, that got attention. So, you know, we saw the awareness of the data breach aspect, the privacy impact on us having our information compromised. Here we're seeing the potential to affect our critical infrastructure, things like that. Um, does that bring the focus to security or just to the consequences? Probably just the consequences. Because and therein lies the problem, Sean, because we're going to go, at, we're going to, we're going to, we're always focused on the consequence, even the cyber insurance discussion, it's always focused on the consequences. How do we avoid the consequences rather than how do we avoid the situation that puts us to the state where, where we have to face them? And, and uh, why is that? Because of human nature, we only care about ourselves. And it's only the consequences that we feel. We don't care if this company across the street gets hacked and, and they, you know, have to deal with all this stuff and bring in experts and pay a ransom. We care if it affects us. And that's the problem is, is we've got to start understanding deeper down that cause and effect chain to understand really this all affects us. I mean, isn't that though? I mean, we've seen it with payment card breaches, right? If it doesn't affect you, nobody cares. Uh, I mean, you could say the same thing. Like, I mean, I didn't have to go get gas, so Colonial didn't affect me. Uh, fortunately, I had filled up beforehand, but like our gas stations didn't run out of gas. Like, so there's a large swath of people that while this was in the media and everywhere, it still didn't really affect them. I mean, it gave them you know, memes to create, to paste onto Twitter and, and LinkedIn of people, you know, yeah. haha, this will be funny, people filling up plastic bags or something, right? Like, like a lot of people that didn't really affect. So even if you yeah. get it into the hands of the average person not in security, what effect does that really have? It didn't affect them, but just like the 2014 awareness, the 2013 breaches didn't necessarily affect everybody, but it hit close enough to home to realize it could have affected us. And I, I think this, when you look at the, the power issues we had in Texas in February and the consequences of that, you know, it could be, I, I may be biased because I'm here in Texas and we're seeing that 
that causal connection. But I think this brought it home in a way to say, you know what, this could have been our electrical grid, or this could have been something else that may have affected me. That would be what would lead to the awareness. Maybe not, but you know. I, don't know, I feel like that might be different if we actually had, I don't know, like I feel like there's a lot of either misinformation or just SME guessing on what they think actually happens, right? I mean, if you come out and say it was just the corporate networks, it couldn't have actually touched the pipeline itself. Like if you're coming out saying that type of stuff, like, all right, well, one, then that changes my whole perspective on how I feel about this. Was it that bad? I mean, we had the thing, was it Tampa with the water tainting that got caught, Yeah. right? Somebody gained yeah. access. That wasn't huge news. I'll be honest with you. I'd prefer my water. Um, <laughs> but you, you, know, you didn't like, run out and fill it, fill up jugs. And <laughs> well, you know, uh, amazingly enough, we didn't have a bunch of security people on every news channel saying you're going to run out of water. You better go top off. No, well, the all right. So so let's talk about one other <laughs> thing here. That's the difference between news reporting. I mean, I've done enough news being the expert to come on and talk about it. You, you've got to take your whole train of thought and be able to condense it out down into a tweet to, to be able to, to, to do a news program. You got to have a couple of bullet points and just be ready to hit them and they need to have some oomph behind them or nobody's going to care. That's the difference between news reporting and podcast. That's why I love podcasts because you can truly talk about the depth of an issue in a way that people would be bored stiff on the news about. Well, it doesn't fit between commercials. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, guys. Speaking of fitting in between commercials, uh, we're a little bit over on time. But uh, hey, Sean, awesome having you back, man. I uh, You always reinforce the same thing that uh, that, that, that we, we hope that we solve eventually. It's that we, we've got the same problems and we're not going to we're not done solving them. So, no, it's not easy, and we're gonna. It's a battle, and we got to keep fighting, and it's not going to end until the adversaries either find a new way to make money that's easier and more efficient, or until human nature changes and bad people go away and everybody's good and rides unicorns everywhere. Yeah. That'll happen. All right. Well, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna get out of here and go uh, hunt for gas eventually at some point. Uh, I'm gonna bring a bucket and see what happens. Please do. Ziploc bag. Zip get a GoPro. Bag. Zip Put a GoPro bags. on. Yes. Yes. All right. I'll I'll create a podcast called In Search of Gas. Oh man. All right. Sean, thanks for being on the show, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. If you're watching the. Uh, live stream i hope that we are at least entertaining if not uh, then we'll do this again and maybe next time you'll watch it um uh, maybe youtube doesn't delete us this time i don't know we'll see but uh thanks for listening we'll catch you guys another time another place another down the security rabbit hole podcast ciao y'all and now time to hit the stop button <laughs> as we fade out on another down the security rabbit hole episode we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the twitter hashtag pound dtsr please check out the show notes catch up on any episodes you may have missed and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode our website is whiterabbit.net w-h-1-t-3-r-a-b-b-i-t.net so on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye.
will see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. 